with me. Stay with me, Cursus. So, Apostle Neville was here, I think, last week, eh? He was here last week. And um, he touched on deliverance. The Sunday before that, if you would remember, that uh, we started off on curses. And I want to finish that. I'm going to just, um, I'm just going to uh, uh, touch on a little bit of what we did that first Sunday, just to go through it. And then we're going to finish off that message this morning because it wasn't finished off last week Sunday. And if it is not finished off, it's going to leave a lot of people in confusion. Are you guys with me? And uh, then tonight, we're going to go further and deeper into generational curses. Just make sure there's no feedback or anything. It's ringing in my ears and so on. It might just be my ears. Um, I'm not sure. But uh, and then tonight, we're going to go deeper into generational curses. So the whole Sunday today... It's very sharp and stuff like that. I don't know if you guys know how to EQ there in the back, but um, uh, so generation. This whole Sunday is going to be about generational curses. Then we're getting to the um, to the deliverance weekend next weekend. Please excuse the sound. Let's just. I'm going to try to forget it. It's very difficult for me because all I hear is just. I can't even talk. So sharp it is. Do you guys hear it or is it just me? You're in front. Do you hear it or is it just me? Huh? So it's not me. Okay. So um, it's very bad. I don't know why they go up and down like that with a sound and don't set it in. Um, but, uh, and then next week we're doing the conference. And then, um, or Sunday, Monday. Sunday, Monday, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Krugersdorp. You don't want to miss it. We're going to go very deep into deliverance. Uh, you know, I wanted to minister a message tonight on on uh, why Christians need continual deliverance and the depths of deliverance and uh, the number of deliverances there is for a believer. And we see compared to the Old Testament, we see the number seven. We see the, in the New Testament how Mary was uh, delivered from seven demons. We see how, uh, how in the Old Testament, the prophet said to Naaman, go dip yourself seven times. Uh, he laid on the stretched himself out. Elisha stretched himself out on the dead boy seven times. Are you guys with me? And every single one of those things is in relation to deliverance. We see how the boy that was raised from the dead began to sneeze. And sneezing is a, is a, is a representation, is a deliverance of the natural body. If there's bacteria or anything like that, anything that is anti your body, in your body, your body disposes of it through sneezing. It's a sign of deliverance. So when the boy sneezed there, it was a sign of deliverance. And the spirit of death had left him there. Are you guys with me? So, but this we're going to get into the conference. My ears are hurting too much here in front. So I'm going to try to stay here for now. So in the conference, yes, this is also the same. It's hurting me quite bad. It is like this tones where it uh, go like high and just wrong. Uh, um, so when we get into the conference, we're going to go deeper into deliverance much deeper and then we're going to pray for everyone but here we're also praying in the mornings we're not really getting to prayer because the uh, mornings is really just for teaching it's not because we don't want to anything like that we would love to especially after this morning's message i would love to but uh it's just time restraints limits us and uh, then obviously in the evenings we also pray for you but say with the generational curses put on luke 13 verse 10 and i'm going to just uh just uh, touch on what we have uh, done the first Sunday for many that were not here or those that kind of like forget just to refresh your memory. Now listen to this. Now he was teaching, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues of the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity. 18 years. So if you're 18 years, it says a spirit of infirmity and she was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. Next, next, next verse. And he said his hands, uh, uh, and he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Uh, let's, let's, let's go on. Uh, in fact, I'll, I'll jump to, to a piece here. Let's go to, um, let's go to verse, let's go to verse 15. Verse 15, so we see how the Pharisees came to him 
and uh, the leaders in the synagogue came to him and said to him that he can't be doing any healing and etc the lord answered him and said hypocrite does not each one of you on the sabbath lose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to the water they were saying to him you cannot do a healing on the sabbath if you are a prophet you would have known that a sabbath is there for rest so he said listen if you have a donkey that's working for you and they are they are caught up in a trap would you not lose them uh, would you not set him free so ought not this woman being a daughter of abraham say with me a daughter of abraham this means she was in new testament vernacular or language in our language today she was a christian she was of the seed of abraham are you guys with me she was not a gentile yet she was bound by a spirit of infirmity and that spirit caused her to be bent in a certain area but this was a curse that was honored because for 18 years, this thing was on it. Are you guys with me? And when a curse is upon your life, it'll make you bent in certain areas of your life. It's like you can do everything right. You can go to work, you can drive a car, you can have friends. But when you get around alcohol, even if you've quit it, there's just something that, that in that area, you're completely bent. It's like something takes you over and you cannot even begin to think for yourself in that area others are in the area of uh of um, uh, uh, fear or rejection when they are around somebody or they have to do something that requires confidence this fear or rejection comes upon them but just in that area they are bent there you can be naturally bent but spiritually bound are you guys with me a curse is like a dark shadow that hovers over you an invisible force you cannot put substance to it. You cannot fully point it out, but it has effects that follow. It's like the wind, same way how the Holy Spirit is the wind. You cannot see Him as the Holy Spirit, but you can see the effects. You can see Him blowing through the trees. When a curse is upon you, you can see the effects, but you cannot put your finger on it. A curse is designed for believers not to enter into the call of God for their life. Number one. Number two, if they are getting saved and they are towards the call of God, it is designed to test you and persecute you and bring calamity, which will eventually bring destruction when it comes to the call of God. Now I'm going to get into some touchy things uh, 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 this morning, as some of you might have heard last time, but uh, go with me, Proverbs 3 verse 33. Proverbs 3 verse 33. And I'm going to move fast this morning, just for the sake of time. The curse of the Lord, say with you, the curse of the Lord, is on the house of the wicked. Does it say the curse of Satan? So it says the curse of the Lord. Once we look into scripture, where does curses originate from? The source of a curse is the Lord. In no way in scripture will you see that Satan curses someone. Are you guys with me? We just in our language and we say that that witch is putting a curse. Listen, there's no way that a somebody of another religion or Satanists or witches can put a curse upon you if you're a believer. You don't have to be afraid of that curse. But when God puts a curse upon a person, but now it clashes with our theology because why would God put a curse on me? Are you guys with me? So we're going to bring a solution to, to that because you have two camps. You have the one that says, but the curse is broken on the cross and we are just fully in blessings. But they don't have an answer for certain things that people go through. Trials, tribulations, things that just misfortunes. They're serving God passionately, but yet misfortunes still come upon them. They don't have an answer for that. Then you have the other camp that says that they fully believe in curses. We have to get a balance to say, okay, but where does a curse come from? What is the source of a curse? We see the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. God, God in, the, in the book of Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, was the one who first released a curse. And he cursed the snake to go on his belly. He cursed childbearing. Are you guys with me? He cursed the land. He cursed Abel. 
and then we see in Deuteronomy that this blessings will come after you but then this curses will come after you also and we see choose blessings or choose curses many believers choose curses because of disobedience so when disobedience comes upon their lives or when they act in disobedience how do I activate a curse a curse can come generationally upon me or I can bring a curse upon me today by disobedience the moment I am disobedient God as the final and ultimate judge his name everything in his name Yahweh the Most High speaks of a judge in a court setting the first imagery we have of heaven in scripture is that of a court I'm going to say it again. The first imagery we have in heaven is a picture of court. And it goes right through from Genesis to Revelation. The image and the picture and the vision of a court. The court setting. How God operates. How He gives instructions. So we see He's a judge. So He has to righteously judge something. Are you guys with me? So when I act in disobedience, Satan is like an accuser before the throne day and night bringing this accusing the saints if you only know that satan stands by the throne room in front of the throne he stands like that and he watches your life 24 hours he has monitoring spirits that goes forth that watches you lest you mess up somewhere you have an open door somewhere you're disobedient the moment you're disobedient he brings that case before god are you guys with me he did it with Job, and I'm going to show you how he does it in the New Testament. How this happens even in the book of Revelation. Are you guys with me? So we see this theology, if I can say it like this, or truth of curses going from Genesis to Revelation. We're going to look at that today, just quick. So that we cannot say, but this is an Old Testament thing. We see this go right through from the crucifixion to in the future. It'll be in our future. But there's a way to deal with curses. It is a simple legal contract. Repentance of disobedience. Are you guys with me? Many live in misfortunes because they say, but Christ became a curse for me, you know. Let's, 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 uh, and we'll get to that just now. So say with me, God is a judge. His image, everything about Him, even in heaven. In fact, one of the only depictions of heaven that we have is a courtroom setting. Um, uh, uh, so it says, the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. Your parents or your great parents could have committed something. Just because you are in the house, the curse does not affect an individual. It affects a house. So just because you are under that house, you are affected by that curse to the third and fourth generation. Are you guys with me? So we see, and I'm just, I'm just, uh, just uh, going through what, what, we have, uh, what we have done already. And we see that, uh, we see that in, um, in the book of Kings, and I'm not going to go to the scriptures right now, I'm just going to paraphrase. We see how the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord, quote unquote, was sent to him. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord, quote unquote, was sent to Saul to harass him. The one translation says, another one says to distress him. So now we see an evil spirit that was sent by God. Are you guys with me? Satan is not operating, ah, uh, I want to say this right. Satan is not operating by his own instruction many times when it comes to curses. Because the only one that can curse is God. It's a courtroom setting. But Leon, how do you, let, let me, let's go to Psalm 82. Psalm 82. And for the sake of time, I can't uh, fully get uh, into this. I'm just going to go through it quickly. 
God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. Say with me, among the gods. He judges among the gods. He stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. Let me read it for you a bit in the Hebrew. Go back. God, say with me, God. Elohim stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the Elohim. So he stands in the midst of other Elohim and he makes judgment calls. So God is standing in the midst of other gods. And this is a picture where we get Greek mythology from. Are you guys with me? So uh, where they messed up in the Greek mythology, mythology, myth came out from this type of scripture, many others that, that is in the, same, in the same vein. So here we see that God is a congregation. He has a council. Another translation that says he stands in the council of the other Elohim. And he discusses certain plans. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Job chapter number 2 verse 1. While we're going to Job 2 verse 1, I'm just going to paraphrase the scripture where it says that, uh, or let's go to another one. I'm going to paraphrase this. And I'm not going to turn there just for the sake of time, but you should have the reference from last, from two weeks ago. If not, you can just Google it and you'll find it. Um, and we see in the book of Kings, I think it's 2 Kings 20. We see in the book of Kings how Ahab was supposed to go up to a battle. And God is standing... All of a sudden, we see this image of a courtroom again. And the Lord is standing and speaking to those who are in his midst, which is the other gods. And he's speaking to them. And we have the 24 elders there, and etc. And he's saying, what shall we do to let Ahab go up in battle? Because I need Ahab to fall. Are you guys with me? What shall we do to send Ahab up into battle? Then a spirit, the Bible says, a spirit came forward to him, appeared in front of him. And said, I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets. Just send me. Whoa. Is this a good spirit or a bad spirit? The Bible doesn't, doesn't clarify whether this is a good spirit or bad spirit. Are you guys with me? The word spirit in the Hebrew is really, it can be good or bad. It's the same word that is used for demons and evil spirits or a good spirit. When I say good spirit, we have no other spirit but the Holy Spirit. But there are things in heaven that we don't know. Are you guys with me? You have 24 elders there. They have creatures. You have things that are created that is beyond our perception or understanding. So this spirit comes in front of the Lord and says, I will become a lying spirit in the mouth of your prophets. And then God says, okay, go. So we can put this to say, but how can this be an evil spirit? Let's read from Job 2 verse 1. So I read, how can this be an evil spirit, Leon? You cannot say that this is an evil spirit. You, I read to you where uh, Saul, the Bible says an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. Now we see Job 2 verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God, say with you, the sons of God, came to present themselves before the Lord. They came to present Meaning they were given a job function and they had to come back and report and give an account to what they are doing. If we read Psalm 82 further, we see that the council of gods that was around God were giving an account to how they ruled the nations. And then they were punished for ruling the nations wrong. To interpret this scripture wrong, the one of Psalm 82, we can naturalize it and say, no, those are presidents and kings. Doesn't make sense because the word Yahweh, uh, sorry, not the, word, the word Elohim and the word mighty, it speaks of divinity connected to other scriptures that I'm reading here right now, that this was a spiritual council, principalities, however we want to call them, some sons of God, some rulers, where they are given an account and responsibility over nations, some believe over planetary systems. That's another thing, okay? Uh, 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 different dimensions, that's another thing. But let's leave it on the earth right now, given over nations. And then they have to come and give an account to God. Why? Even though some of them are evil, 
the final judgment has not yet happened. Um, why in this midst? That, so listen, they came to give an account and report before the Lord. And Satan, say with me, and Satan came also among them to report or give an account before the Lord. I don't know if you guys understand what I'm saying. Which means that Satan had to come to bring in an account. Before he fell, he was part of that council. He was part of the sons of God and the Elohim that were in charge of certain nations and he was in charge of the Garden of Eden. I'm not going to get into it big. Are you guys with me? And that is for Bible college. So we see this council happening and them coming in amongst the council and God can send an evil spirit or his total control over the courtroom of heaven, which is the only highest courtroom there is. There's no other courtroom than that. And he has the ability to even say to an evil spirit, go and do that. Because he's bound by his word. Because Satan stands there and accuses him and say, listen here, Job, you know he loves you so much. But there's one open door that Job has. He says, this one thing I fear will come upon me, will happen. And Satan says, I found a gap in the hedge. So I come before you and I say that he's, he, he loves you, he worships you, he's, he's righteous in every aspect. But there's one area in his life where he's not trusting you. And I'm coming and filing a complaint, an accusation against him. And God has to take that and bring it to pass. Are you guys with me? Yet death is not allowed to come to Job. Now we're going to touch on generational curses. Because many Christians are inflicted by curses. But yet it is not God's judgment for death. Because death has been dealt with. But there's trials and effects and misfortunes and things that happen. Why? Because of a curse that is upon, because of our disobedience or a curse in our generations. Are you guys with me? Uh, I hope this is really not too much. I hope it doesn't mess you up and I hope we'll be able to solidify this morning to bring a closure. I want us to touch on curses pre-crucifixion. Uh, during crucifixion and post-crucifixion in the future. So that you can understand, but this is not an Old Testament thing. For us to do deliverance and so on, nobody can tell us there's no such thing as demons. I don't care what your doctrine is or what your theology is. We see it physically, firsthand. If I see it, the Bible has to explain it. Are you guys with me? I said to a minister, minister said to him, I must stop preaching or mentioning aliens or this or that. I said, listen, you guys have big churches and people come and ask you this question about, about uh, for example, does aliens exist? You just say, no, 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 don't get into those things. The fact that you're not giving that person an answer is leaving them with question marks. If we see something and experience something, I want the Bible to explain it. If the Bible cannot explain it, it'll bring doubts or questions into me. So that is why when we get into our college and our global school of ministry, we go deep into the subject of certain things such as aliens. What is the possibility? Where does it touch on scripture? The scripture is full of it, especially towards the days of Noah, the end days when Christ's return is coming, that these activities will increase the more that Christians need to understand, okay, this is fulfillment of prophecy. Are you guys with me? And into what is the demons or so? And let's not get into that. That is the global school of ministry. Or that is for some mature sessions. Let's go to Genesis 4 verse 4. Genesis 4 verse 4. So I want to touch on the pre-crucifixion where, where we see a curse operating. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock, of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, put it in, in NLT when you're living translation on this one. On verse 7, from verse 7 on forward. You will be accepted if you do what is right. And I just use NLT just for an easy way of, of reading. It's a very good translation. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields 
And while they were in the fields, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterwards, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood, say with the blood, cries out to me from the ground. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Why was that curse pronounced on him? Because of the disobedience of murder. Are you guys with me? God is a judge. He has Satan. It's not like God is saying, oh, okay, let me just do it. No, no, no. Yes, accusers. He's got a jury, the 24 elders. He's got everyone there in heaven that comes and accusing Cain for what he has done. As I said, Satan looks and monitors everything we do to bring that as an account. Why? No, but then I'm going to live under legalism. No, just take the blood and apply it every day. When you have a relationship, when you enter into the Holy of Holies, when you enter into a place by worshiping God, you're spending time with Him, its blood is doing His work. Are you guys with me? But when we are ignorant of this, we can go for months with even out having a relationship with God, applying His blood on our lives. The Bible says He who is faithful, when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. Say with me, just. God is love, but He is also just. The word just is that He's a righteous just, a righteous judge. He has to do what is right. So He's getting influenced here, accused, uh, Satan is accusing Cain. He has to go and release the curse upon him. And uh, we see that, that Abel's blood was crying out from the ground. Meaning that blood has, uh, blood has a voice, but blood has information in it. If you shoot an animal, and you shoot an animal where there is shock, or you kill an animal where there is shock, Many of you will know that many times the meat is affected by it. Even the taste of the meat is affected by it. Why? Because there's time where the information that is in the blood could be released into the meat. Once you die, your blood can speak everything about your lineage, about your generations. It has your DNA in it. Blood has the, has a, has a, has a, um, has particles in it and there's one called the light particle that the moment a person dies the light particle that's why blood begins to go dark red once life is gone are you guys with me why is blood so important why does blood carry information god has designed it that somebody's blood has the ability to have a voice to speak because of how the systems of heaven operates that is why Christ had to come and shed His blood. That's why it's Christ's blood that could wash away our sins. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. So listen, what is, uh, or let me say it like this. This is why it took the blood of Christ to redeem us. Because His blood has a voice and it can speak on your behalf. His blood carries information. When you get a blood transfusion from Christ, in the realm of the spirits, there's information that comes upon you now. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. That is a whole different thing. I'm not going to get into that now, but let's go to Hebrews chapter number 12, verse 24. So we looked at curses in the past about Abel, and that's just one. There are many. We could go to David. We can go to many curses. And there was a curse upon David's house because of the sin that he did. But this sin came in because of his disobedience. So when we look at a curse, it's not only generational. It is also present where I can do a I can I can be disobedient and a curse can be activated. It requires of me to go to court, and I'm not speaking of these funny uh, sermons and books of uh, the courts of heaven, and it becomes very legalistic. And for every little prayer, you need to file one, two, three, four. No, okay. I'm just speaking in a revelatory way right now. You have to appear in court. How do you do that? You have to remove the legal right that gives the enemy right in your life. How do I go to court? 
you have to get with another person. Why? When two or more agree. The moment there is the word agreement, it is a legal term. So God is saying, where two or more agree on earth, so it shall be done in the courts of heaven. So what do I do? I get with another believer that has the blood of Jesus Christ, that is righteous and bold, and I confess my sins to them. I overturn what has been done, or I confess a generational cause. I repent on behalf of my forefathers. And I say, I begin to repent for this. I renounce this, and I remove the legal rights that the enemy has. Are you guys with me? So when there is agreement on earth, there will be an agreement in heaven, in the court. That is how we remove a curse. That is how we remove and close doors. A lot of people want to go into their room and say, Lord, forgive me for this. No, no, no. It requires two. Are you guys with me? Have your seats. So, so let's get into the present situation of curses. Looking at a present or, or not, pre, let me, uh, I want to say present crucifixion. Let's go to Hebrews 12, 24. Present cru crucifixion, church, church, uh, curses. Listen to this. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and, or go, read for me out of the NLT. Read out of the NLT. Just want to see if it is a bit better. You have come to Jesus the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the sprinkling blood. Say with the blood. So the information which speaks. Whoa. Listen. Which speaks of forgiveness. So this is the blood of Christ which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance. Like the blood of Abel. So what did, blood, what did Abel's voice cry out? Hebrews 12 says vengeance. But instead of vengeance, Christ's blood is coming and it has other information. It speaks forgiveness over your life. But that doesn't mean that blood is not working in the future and that curses are not working. It is just saying that Christ's blood came, is offering forgiveness while Abel's blood was speaking and crying out vengeance. Are you guys with me? Blood is the transporter between the natural and the spiritual. That is why Satanists have black and witches and those in the occult have blood sacrifices. The moment they have a blood sacrifice, power is deposited into them. That is why it took Christ's blood to open up a way for us. It says by His blood, a way has been made into the Holy of Holies. Are you guys with me? By His blood, we enter into the Holy of Holies. The veil has been torn. By what? By His blood. His blood has peculiar, peculiarities and qualities that carries information that can get us into the throne room and declare us innocent. Are you guys with me? So, while Christ was on the earth, the information in His blood was screaming forgiveness. When He was on the cross, the information of His blood was screaming forgiveness. Meaning I take what happened upon the cross, I apply it to me today, and I receive forgiveness. Are you guys with me? The difference uh, 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 with Abel and Jesus' blood, Jesus' blood was forgiveness. Abel's blood was vengeance. But now vengeance is not revenge. I want you to understand this. Vengeance is godly. Revenge is ungodly. The difference between vengeance and revenge is that revenge is what we call street justice. It's when I take it upon myself to apply justice and a judgment. I then become what we call a vigilante. Are you guys with me? Vengeance, vigilante. But if I... So revenge is an illegal way of applying vengeance. But when I apply vengeance, it is a legal manifestation of revenge. Revenge is an illegal manifestation of vengeance. And vengeance is an illegal manifestation, is a legal manifestation of revenge. Are you guys with me? Meaning that uh, uh, legal revenge that is 
or let me say legal revenge, which is vengeance, which is enacted by heaven's courtroom, makes me not a vigilante, but makes me an adjudicator. Where I can go to God, I have my advocates, I have, and I can go to Him to enforce something. Are you guys with me? Enforce my case. But if I, the moment I do it upon myself, it's, I become a vigilante. I commit a crime. Uh, so this is, here we see the voice in the blood crying out in present crucifixion. Let's go to post-crucifixion. Revelation 6 verse 9. Revelation 6 verse 9. And I'm really just jumping quick through it. I've got a few minutes to left. 20 minutes and I haven't gone to where we're supposed to go, but we're going to finish this morning. So Revelation uh, 6 verse 9. Listen, many will argue and say, but wait, Jesus became a curse for us. Galatians. Jesus became a curse for us. To correctly or exegetically correctly divide the Word of God, rightly divide the Word of God, Word of Truth. I have to weigh up that scripture with other scriptures. Then we can go to 2 Corinthians, I think it is 5, where it says that He became sin for us. So when we say that He became a curse for us in Galatians, that if He became a curse for us, I think it's Galatians 2 verse 2, if He became a curse for us, that um, uh, I have to now, that there's no curses upon my life because He became the curse. And that is a false interpretation of scripture. Because otherwise I can say when the scripture has the exact same phrase that he became sin for us, that there's no more sin in the world. So even though we know that he became sin for us, that that broke the power of sin, but not the presence of sin. You can still sin every day. When it comes to a curse, he became a curse for us. It broke the power of the curse but the presence of curses are still there. But the way it broke the power of the curse, I have to appropriate it. It doesn't automatically do it. Are you guys with me? How do I get forgiveness? I have to appropriate the blood. I cannot, it doesn't automatically do it for me. Does that make sense? I don't just automatically become a Christian. When I get saved, I must confess with my mouth. I must believe in my heart. I must take the blood and receive the blood upon my life. I do it through a confession of faith and I appropriate what happened upon the cross in my life today. And the moment I appropriate it, at that moment, forgiveness comes. It doesn't come automatically. Nobody, Rana Bonke said, you can't stand in a shower and say to the soap, okay, soap, clean me. No, I have to take it. How? Say with you, by faith. The way you get saved is by faith. How do I appropriate the blood upon my life of forgiveness? By faith. How do I appropriate the cross when it comes to curses? By faith. Are you guys with me? And a lot of people have faith for salvation, but they think when it comes to curses, they have to beg God. No, no, no. You appropriate the blood. You take the cross by faith. And you get two or, two or three agree on earth. You get somebody else and you repent and you renounce. Very simple. But it has to be an act of faith. Are you guys with me? Revelation chapter number 6 verse 9. Listen to this. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred. Now I want you to see that this is the future. This is not speaking of our past or something that has happened. This is what still has to happen. Are you guys with me? This is important. I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testament. Let's stop there. Say with him martyred. For you to be martyred, you have to be a Christian. Okay? So it's speaking of future. It's speaking of future tense. And curses in the future. This whole thing that I'm speaking about right now, we're going to look at the courtroom setting. I saw under the altar souls of all who had been martyred. So this is Christians who are being martyred. This is happening today and going on into our future. Faithful in their testimony. Next verse. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign, uh, uh, so the Lord said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? 
and avenge our blood. Say with me, avenge. This is God taking vengeance. You avenge, avenge, vengeance, avenge, and, right, and, 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 and revenge. Are you guys with me? So he says, when will you avenge? So now we see when Abel's blood cried out for vengeance. Christ's blood came and spoke forgiveness. But here we see Christian's blood from this day forward still crying out for vengeance. So your blood will always cry. And because it's crying out for vengeance, coming up into the throne room of God, God has to respond accordingly. Because He is a just God. Are you guys with me? He is love, but He's also just. He has to. He is accountable, if I can say. He's accountable to Himself. But He has put a system in called His Word that keeps Him accountable. And He's accountable to His Word. The Bible says that He exalts His Word above Himself. Remind me of my promises so that I will do it for you, says the Lord. Um, are you guys with me? What do I do? I remind God your word said one, two, three. Your word said one, two, three. And you have not done as such. And it will cause him to overturn. So why do I break curses? Apart from going to somebody in agreement. Number one. Number two, apart from renouncing and confessing and repentance. The third thing I need to do, I need to find scripture that can overturn that curse in my life. Are you guys with me? And I'll show you a scripture now as an example. Why? Because the word is exalted above him. He took his word as a constitution and said, I put this higher than me to hold me accountable. I know it's going to mess with some if they don't understand how the Trinity operates, but it is okay. We're speaking basic Bible stuff. This is a basic message. If I have to preach this at another church, they will... Uh, they'll get unsaved. So I hope you understand. It's very deep. Um, it's very deep uh, this morning. <clears throat> so as I said, we see here Christians asking God to avenge them. This is Christians because it's martyrs. And uh, God is telling them they must wait until more Christians in the future are being slaughtered. They were crying out, when are you going to bring judgment? God is saying, listen, you must wait until more Christians are being slaughtered, until there's more fulfillment. Let me carry on. So verse 11. Then a, while, a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told, listen to this, wait to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, who were to be martyred, had joined them. Now, this is a tricky thing because when it comes to curses, there's sometimes timing involved. There's a fullness of God's time until judgment or vengeance is enacted upon those who were the perpetrators or those who have done the act bad. Are you guys with me? Meaning there can be things coming against your life and you're like, God, but why is this not being sorted out? Why is this person still attacking me? Why is this person still coming against me? And they look like they're just getting away with it. They're not getting away with it. The file in heaven is being built until it comes to the fullness of time. Where God is saying, now I will enact a judgment according to the, upon the perpetrators. Meaning that any enemy that came against you, meaning that every devil that came against you, when is the fullness of the judgment coming? The lake of fire. And let me tell you, even people coming against you, it gets to the courtroom of heaven. Have, you, have your seats, have your seats. Are you guys with me? So he says to them, listen, wait a little bit longer. This clearly states the presence of a generational curse. As I just said to you now, past, present, and future. Are you guys with me? So say with me, God is love. It's a bit technical, this message, but and say God is just. Because He's love and He's just. Listen, let me explain like this. Love in full manifestation is the satisfaction of justice, not the exoneration of it. When somebody is operating or when God is operating in His manifestation of justice or in His, uh, in his form of justice, that is the full manifestation of love. 
where we have a fallen love and we want to say, oh, but just give me another chance. Give me this. When you deal with staff, when you deal with uh, people that are around you or so, you know, how many of you know if you work with somebody who's getting off drugs, if you've ever done it, they will always try to manipulate you. And they'll say, just give me another chance, this and that. And then we think, okay, shame, let's give them another chance. And we think we are being godly while we're being completely anti-God at that moment. God is just. He's a judge. He's a just judge. He is, uh, uh, he is bound by His Word. He is love, but we have a skewed perception of love. But you're going to see how His judgment changes, as I'm going to explain to you towards the end of this message, because of His love. Are you guys with me? So his judgment is going to change because of uh, his love. And um, I'm going to try to explain a parable which I shared with you uh, two weeks ago. Um, and I'm just recapping a little bit. I'm giving new things and I recap as I go a bit in between. But I'm going to give you a story just to explain or just to uh, 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 kind of like describe how this operates. How God is just and he's full of love. Love is the full manifestation of justice, not and the satisfaction of justice, not the exoneration of it. Meaning when justice is fully satisfied, love is present. How do you, do, how do you say this? Let me explain like this. If you have a daughter, and I explained it two weeks ago a little bit, but if you have a daughter and this daughter was raped, is being raped, I'm sure 100% here will tell me that they want justice for their daughter if not you're not a christian you're not even worth to be a human being um some and i've had people say it to me i've had people saying to me they don't care if somebody comes into the house and shoot their family they will just turn the other cheek oh whatever you know the bible says you need to protect your family in fact i can get into it that uh you know how you can kill somebody the bible explains it that what happens if you kill somebody what happens under the law Okay, to defend your family. So, um, uh, so, so, so now you want justice for your daughter. And the perpetrator, you can't find the perpetrator. The perpetrator is still out there at large. And you die. How many of you know that according to scripture that we just read now, even after you die, you would want justice for your daughter? Are you guys with me? So because of that, your blood now begins to cry out for your daughter and by the way if your daughter has been raped her blood while she's alive is crying out so now you die you no longer know you, you you can't be involved anymore but god still goes on and looks for the perpetrator not that he doesn't know who the perpetrator is but in the natural the perpetrator hasn't been caught out are you guys with me so because we have a natural world and a spiritual world so just because i die my love doesn't end for my daughter in the same way, if I die, God's love doesn't end for my daughter. Because the Bible says love never ends. Are you guys with me? Love never ends. So God isn't going to just back off. He is sitting in the council of heaven. So now I go on. Now the perpetrator, God, you know, the whole situation of what happened comes to the, is by the courtroom of heaven. And God is about to inflict judgment. And I and close the case on the perpetrator but now he gets saved he walks on the street an evangelist is preaching and he gets saved now what now are you guys with me god is bound by his word go with me to go with me to uh to ezekiel 18 or uh, don't worry let me let me just let me just uh paraphrase this in ezekiel 18 i think it is uh, verse 5 or 7 it says that the children will not be put to death for the sins of the fathers. I'm going to read it again. The children will not be put to death for the sins of the fathers. Meaning that now I can take a scripture and saying, God, I will not be put to death for the sins of the fathers. Let's say that perpetrator dies and his children is carrying that curse. Now his children is carrying that curse of that rape, but now they get saved. Are you guys with me? 
So the children get saved. Let's say the children or the perpetrator. I'm just using this bowl for the scripture of the children. Now the children get saved. They're the son of a rapist, the children of a rapist. There's still divine judgment on them. But because they got saved, death cannot come upon them. But they still have the effects of the curse. Are you guys with me? So now they get saved as a Christian or the perpetrator, the, the rapist gets saved. Death doesn't come on him, but now he's going to do either time in prison, in the natural, and then he gets saved maybe, he's a Christian, maybe he becomes a minister, and now he begins to go through trials, testings, things that affect his life. So God is saying, in the fact that I'm just and love, I'm a righteous judge and I'm love at the same time. I remove death, but I'm still a judge. I have to enact and release something to happening on this. So I'm not going to kill him, but things will just be allowed to come to him. Why does God say it doesn't? Because I have Satan standing at my right hand, accusing me with a system that I've put into place where I have to allow that to happen because of that happening. The only way I can remove it is if that person comes to court with the right things and the right situation and the right procedure so that this curse can be lifted from them. This is why many Christians go through troubles, trials, persecutions, accusations that kind of like pulls them down and destroys them. And this is what we call the presence of a curse, a generational curse. Are you guys with me? So, so let's, go to, let's go to James 1 verse 3. So as I said, God now has to allow certain things in the life of the perpetrator or his children to purge their Christian walk. So what is God doing in His love and His mercy, in His love and His just, His, judge, his, his justice? He doesn't send death to the person. But now He says, okay, the person has got saved and I'm going to use that to make them a better Christian. And trials will come against them. It's not going to be easy, meaning I'm pleasing Satan in a legal sense, but I'm also growing the person that I have. Until they can come to a place where they can come to court continually to deal with a situation. What is going to court? I said to you just now, it is being humble, going to uh, getting to a Christian brother, beginning to renounce beginning to repent and then taking scripture, meaning it begins to build on my relationship with God. It continually works on my character to say how I must stay humble, how I must do this. Are you guys with me? So James 1 verse 3, listen here. Knowing that the testing of your faith, say with you the testing of your faith, produces patience. Put in the King James Version for me. The King James Knowing this, that the trying, say with it, trying, which comes from the word trial, trying of your faith works patience. The trials of your faith is a legal term. Are you guys with me? It is, this is not trials of your salvation. Your salvation part is sorted. You are saved if you accepted the blood. But now there's another trials that come upon you. What is the testing, the trials of your faith? Not one person sitting that comes into this world can say there's no curse upon their lives. So God uses this to say that I'm going to shape this person's character. Now they're getting saved. I must be a, a righteous God. So trials are still going to come upon them. But now it's going to be called trials of their faith. It's going to test them in every area until they one day get to heaven and there's also a fullness of the blood and the case can be closed. We don't get to heaven, get to the courts of heaven. Are you guys with me? So the trial of faith has nothing to do with salvation. It is a generational curse. And I showed you probably about 10 different aspects in Scripture just of a courtroom setting. From Genesis, we went to we went to Kings, we went to Job, we went to Psalm 82, another place in Kings. We went to uh, the book of Revelation. We're now in the book of James. And just by quickly mentioning, I'm already by seven. And we see this uh, eight, two or three agree on heaven, so shall be on earth. Whatever you shall bind on the earth shall be bound in heaven. And this is all relation to a courtroom setting in that language. So here we see almost 10 instances with, and there might be much more 
10 instances in scripture from Genesis to Revelation, speaking of heaven as a courtroom. We sometimes think we're going to get to heaven and we're going to enter this golden gates. The first thing you understand by is by a court. What is the Bema seat judgment? It's a court. What is the white throne judgment? It is a court. Are you guys with me? If you understand a, a monarch or so, there'll be a throne in the court where a king judge and rules from. Making, opening cases, closing casing, making cases, making judgments and acting them. That is how the system on the earth is being run. And the greatest way for us to fall under a curse is disobedience. Say with you, disobedience. Yeah, so generational curses is there which we'll deal with, but a Christian is disobedient to the voice of God or they disobedient in the area of Scripture. The moment we are, a curse latches itself on. Why? Satan wants to do everything to bring you down. He's constantly, the Bible says he's day and night standing in front of the, let me try to get the Scripture. Give me the one where it says that he accuses the saints in Revelation. I think it's Revelation 12, uh, but just, just Google that for me quickly. I think the dragon... Um, here it is, the dragon, I think it's Revelation 12, yeah, somewhere. Ten, yeah, I'm here now, yeah. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, listen to this. Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, say with you, the accuser of our brethren. Put for me in... Um, in the New Living Translation, I just want to see this. In the New Living Translation on the screen. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power. And the kingdom of our God. The authority of His Christ, the accuser of our brothers and sisters. Has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God. Day and night. But where has He been thrown down? Only in the future. Are you guys with me? The accuser, the one that stands constantly in the throne room of God, accusing you from morning to night. That is why we have Christ as our mediator and our great intercessor that is on the right side of the throne of God. Standing there or kneeling there, praying and interceding from day to night on your behalf. Why? That constant mediation intercession has to go on. Because they say constant accusation. Jesus will stand at the throne until this moment. He will be interceding for you until this moment. Are you guys with me? Let's stand to our feet. So what holds people back? They will keep missing their court case. Let me speak to you spiritually. What is a court case? It is that moment when God begins to work on your heart and you feel a tugging and a pulling to make things right. Ah, I don't know if you hear what I'm saying. Are you here spiritually? You can be dull and go for two, three, four months, five months, and it just feels like your Christian life is an average experience and nothing is really happening because there are sins and there are things that is binding you and holding you bound. And then all of a sudden you can encounter God or something like that. And then you feel just the sudden need on your heart to make right with these people, to make right with God here or this. There's this pulling. What is that? It is a, it is a, uh, it is a call to come to the court. And then we miss that and we don't realize why things are just staying the same. But once we appear in front of Him, that thing can be lifted. Now in the conference, we're going to get into why believers need multiple deliverances because there are multiple times that you'll be pulled to court you can discover as a believer 10 years later or 15 years later ah i had this curse in my family and this is what is happening now or i had this going in my family line for so many years and this is upon my house this is upon my life and now you get this revelation you can come before the throne room of god and get deliverance for it are you guys with me let's raise our hands wherever you are Father, I pray that your anointing will rest in this place. That you'll make this word alive to your people. That the trials of our faith we are going through is not for our salvation, but it is for 
curses and generational things and for us to come to court for us to break down and come to a point where we say we want to become serious with you i pray right now that your blood will come upon their life and speak on their behalf that when we are faithful when we are confess our sins that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and I pray that your blood will be speaking upon them and will come upon their lives. That even as we enter into this deliverance conference and this season of deliverance, that your people will receive a refreshing. That every demonic bondage that is holding them down will be snapped. Every legal right will be removed from their lives. That there will be a fresh wind that is blowing in this place. That every spirit that is watching them to accuse them will depart from their lives. Every generational curse, every door that has been opened, every hidden door in their lives will be shut today. And over this season, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give a praise offering, church.